Mike. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Mike. So I know that you are a Google Pixel phone user, but you also like to hold on to your devices for a while, like I do, right? Extend the lifespan of your of your gadgets. Uh-huh. What is the one thing that would make you absolutely have to upgrade to the latest Pixel? Um, if Google stopped supporting it with security updates. Ooh, okay. So it's not a specific feature such as a crazy, screw it, we're doing five blades camera or a new chip. No, I mean, what I have right now works fine. And when I'm ready for a new one, I'll get all those features. And that's, and that's also fine. Well, we're going to talk about some new pixels today. And let's see if it's enough to make you want to upgrade. <laughs> or maybe not. Hey, everyone. It's time for Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. And we're also joined by Wired Reviews editor Julian Shikatu, who joins us from New York. Hey, Julian. Hello. So today we're talking about Google smartphones, in case our little intro there didn't tip you off. Google has a couple of new Pixel phones coming out this year. There's the Pixel 5a, which actually just released today. And then there's the Pixel 6, which is coming later this fall. And the Pixel 6 is big news in the phone world, not just because it's got this crazy redesign, but because Google is making custom mobile chips for it. So we're going to talk more about that phone, the Pixel 6, later in the show. But first, I want to talk about the Pixel 5a, because it's basically a more budget-friendly phone from Google. And, you know, here on the Wired Gear team, we tend to dig more affordable phones, and especially the more affordable Pixels. Julian, you just reviewed the Pixel 5a for us. What did you like about it? Well, it's uh, $450, and you're still sort of getting the best camera experience for that price. Um, you know, there's I've been testing a ton of affordable phones under $500, and the simple matter of the fact is that the pixels still take the best quality photos, and here this time you get a uh, ultra-wide camera as well, and... I've tried a lot of ultra-wide cameras, and with Night Sight, which is a Google feature that sort of takes multiple photos and brightens images up um, to make them look better when you're taking them at night, well, the ultra-wide camera here is still much better than anything else uh, under this uh, price tag. So everyone takes photos, but it's just something that not necessarily a lot of people might think about how nice the quality of photos they take is uh people only sort of look at stuff later on and then they realize well that looks like crap <laughs> so uh it's just nice to have a camera that just does all the work for you and it just ends up looking really great but you know of course there's the camera that's one sort of one thing performance is another big thing and when you're paying 450 dollars or something less than that Chances are you're probably not going to expect much with performance, but with this phone, you're pretty much able to do anything and everything you can do on much pricier phones. Um, sure, like, you know, if you're going to play super demanding games, it might feel a little slow um, and it might not be able to run the highest quality settings and be the smoothest sort of gameplay or anything like that. But I think for the most part, most people should be more than happy with what they get here. And then you get IP67 water resistance, which is a new uh, addition, which is always nice to see, you know, um, you never know when your phone's going to dip into the pool. And um, pretty much the other big thing is battery life. They stuffed the biggest battery in a Pixel here, and it'll last you nearly two days of battery life. Now, there's a lot of phones that are sub $500, that have like these massive batteries in there that'll last like three days. So this isn't like 
amazing in, in that regard, but it's still, you know, pretty good. Most people, I think, are going to be pretty happy with a phone that they don't need to plug in every night. So, Julian, it used to be the case just a couple years ago that there were, you know, phones that cost less than $500 were, were largely not great. But now, as you said, you've been testing a lot of phones that are under $500 that are actually pretty great. They do almost everything that you need. Um, what does this say about like the future of phone pricing? Are we going to have two tiers separated by like $1,000 sometime soon? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like, you know, I've, one other great phone that I've tested recently is a Samsung Galaxy A32 5G, and it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's $280 and you can still pretty much get a great experience in terms of the like, performance, the camera, you know, it's not as good as the Pixel 5a, but it's still pretty decent for, you know, not paying anything more than $300. So there's like tons of phones like that where you can get by if you just, you know, mostly are using a handful of apps every day. No one needs to spend $1,000 to just you know, get access to Facebook and email and calling and things like that. Um, it seems like some of those fancier features are now going to be restricted to that high end, which you can kind of tell, you know, I'm testing the Galaxy Z Flip 3, also another mouthful of a name, uh, but it's a folding phone that is pretty much like a normal phone from Samsung, um, but you can just fold it in half. And when you take that away, and look at all of its features, it's pretty much a normal phone, except it can fold in half. So that's now a thousand dollars. And that is sort of this more similar pricing that we used to see for these super flagships. But now you're seeing that this thousand dollar phone can fold in half. So I think some of those high end features of like this new uh, experimental stuff is going to make way to the high end now that we used to pay for traditional flagship phones. And I think people are going to just sort of expect this type of more experimental features or just something much higher end and more different in when they're paying that much more for a thousand dollar phone. And then, you know, you can pay something less than 500 for your traditional smartphone experience. I think there's also a bit of an assumption these days on the part of the smartphone manufacturers that the average consumer cares primarily about a few things, right? Which is, um, you know, how nice does the phone look? And does it have a pretty darn good camera? And how long will the battery life last me? But then there are still sacrifices being made in order to cut costs, whether it's RAM or internal storage or the fanciest, toughest glass, or whether there's like an in-display camera lens or whatever like some of these things you do see the mid-range or quote-unquote cheaper phones lacking wireless charging is another thing that sometimes is not built into cheaper phones um but but the assumption is that like most people just maybe aren't going to even either notice those things or care as much about them maybe with the exception of something like internal storage which i think people notice pretty quickly when they're running out of that yeah so um Thankfully, there's not a ton of sort of things that are missing from this phone yet. Like what we mentioned, um, there's no micro SD card slot, which a lot of people are always quick to point out. Um, mm -hmm. You are stuck with the 128 gigs of storage. Um, that is pretty much par for the course. Well, that storage amount is par for the course for what you expect in this price range. But um, yeah, there are cheaper phones that do offer uh, a micro SD card slot. Um, so it is a bit of a shame. But of course, it's Google and they definitely want you to pay for their cloud storage. So. Um, that's sort of a sac 
sacrifice there. Um, one other thing is kind of small, but it's uh, this higher screen refresh rate trend that we're seeing in a lot of cheaper phones. It's basically a traditional phone has a 60 hertz refresh rate uh, for this for the screen, and newer phones now have things like 90 hertz refresh rates or 120 hertz refresh rates. And what that basically means is that the screen is refreshing at 90 frames per second or 120 frames per second and it just makes it look a little smoother uh, and just more interactive when you're using it um, like when you're scrolling through twitter it'll look less stuttery suppose but um it's just not a huge feature but it is just one of those nice perks that google kind of omitted here but something that you can find on competitors um, maybe more important is as you also said there's no wireless charging and it also is um uh, not really available everywhere. And that's sort of a, a, the biggest problem with this Pixel 5a. It's uh, because of global you know, supply chain issues stemming from the pandemic, Google didn't secure enough Qualcomm chips for this phone. And so uh, they just are selling it through the Google Store and Google Fi, which you know, compared to last year, they sold it on Amazon, B&H, you know, all the traditional retailers. So here you can only get it from Google. Um, there's also something that other things that were impacted because of that supply chain issue were uh, there's no other size option. So this year you're only getting a 6.3 inch version and it's pretty large. So if you liked small phones, you're kind of out of luck. Um, uh, but you know, that's, that's one of the issues because they can't produce as many. So they have to sort of figure out, okay, what's the best thing we can make with the amount of chips that we have. You know how they say that once you fly first class, it's like really painful to go back to coach. I have been spoiled by some of these uh, features in high-end smartphones and wireless charging is the big one for me. Any spot in my home where I spend any considerable amount of time has a wireless charging pad in it. So I've got like five of them in my house. Um, it like gives me this pang of frustration when I have to plug a phone in to charge it. It's just like if they could put wireless charging in this thing, I would buy one tomorrow. But they haven't. They've saved that for the high-end model. So if I want wireless charging, I have to spend however many extra hundreds of dollars just to get that one feature. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> I did the um, best wireless chargers guide for on unwired.com. And so, you know, I also have like, I have like, I, I embedded a wireless charger underneath my bedside nightstand because that's one of the ones I tested. So it's permanently there. There's another wireless charger on top of it. There's another wireless charger in my living room and on my desk. So every time I, it, it, especially when I'm testing, you know, sub $500 phones, none of them have wireless charging. So it's just a pain because I have to bring out the old cable again. But um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like um, every time I do test some of these sub $500 phones, I'm, I always just ask these companies like why don't you push the needle a little bit and bring one of these top end features from the high end and bring them down to these sub 500 l phones because wireless charging has been around for such a long time that it's at this point it's like why has this feature not sort of made it down to this pricing uh when it comes to phones yet but uh, i guess someone just has to take the first step. Julian, earlier you mentioned the global supply chain shortage, and we know that Google has said that this was going to affect shipments of the Pixel 5a more so than the upcoming Pixel 6. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about that Pixel 6 phone. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so we already talked about the Pixel 5a, which is uh, Google's newest smartphone. It's a mid-range phone. It costs just $450, and Julian reviewed it for us on Wired.com. But earlier this month, Google also announced that it's going to release the Pixel 6 this fall. And based on what both Julian and I have seen so far, because we we both took briefings with Google, Julian in New York and myself in Mountain View, um, these are the flashiest looking phones that Google, I think, has ever developed. Um, of course, Google in the past had partnered with other hardware makers to make quote unquote Google phones, but these are like Google's own phones. But it's not all about the looks with this Pixel 6 because Google has also custom developed a new chip called Tensor. And it's a big step for the company, and um, it's part of a larger trend of smartphone makers making their own chips. And it could hint at Google's larger Android strategy. Okay, first, let's break down the Pixel 6 and what it looks like. Julian, try to describe for us on a podcast what this Pixel 6 looks like. (laughs) It's uh, yeah, it is. It is flashy. Uh, it's it's big glass slab with on the back of the phone, and and on that glass slab is this other glass slab. This is this isn't going well. Um, <laughs> but basically, just think of a, a horizontal black bar um, spanning the entire back of the phone, somewhat like lower into a quarter of the top of the phone, and that's the entire camera module, and it kind of sticks out. Actually, it sticks out a lot. And um, generally, it's just this giant block of that's where all your cameras are going to be housed. Um, And it looks very much like, I guess, I suppose, a visor um, just looking at sticking out on the back of the pixel. And um, it's it's very flashy. But that's sort of the point Um, they wanted. You know, I asked uh, Rick Ostrolo about why it looks like that. And he said uh, it pixels are known for their cameras. And they wanted to highlight that as much as possible. And I think they did a pretty good job. <laughs> it kind of looks like um, like a bandit phone. Like it's got like this kind of, you know, dark eye mask covering the back of it. Or maybe just a mask. Is the Pixel 6 wearing a mask? Is it on trend with the rest of us? <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, to me, this was definitely I mentioned it earlier, but this is definitely like that onion article where they're just like, yep, we're leaning into the camera. We're doing five plates here. <laughs> um, I'm especially curious to see what the cases are going to look like, because it does not look like it would work well with a case. So they actually showed uh, or they they sort of told me that um, when you put a case on it, it'll make the entire back flush. So um, that is one of the thing though the, the current design when you put it on a uh, on a on a table it doesn't rock unlike most phones that have that you know camera module on the side and, and the bottom of the phone kind of rocks on a table that's nice to see i guess but um a case generally will not uh will, will sort of hide that bump a little bit better which is sort of a nice plus i guess the phone is also very angular right it's it's like got this edge to edge display it's got a hole punch camera it's um it's very Samsungian, I think, in its aesthetic. Um, there's some cool colors. Um, we should. Pro- oh, and also, it's going to be running, you know, the latest version of Android, which which looks very different from earlier versions of Android. So, I mean, when I first picked up this phone and looked at it at this briefing in Mountain View earlier this month, I was like, I mean, this looks to me, it looked dramatically different. Um, we should probably talk about what the phone does, though. What makes it special, Julian? Where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, Tensor 
the, probably the best place to start because, you know, they didn't particularly tell us much else. And, you know, essentially Tensor is this chip that they designed for the phone, um, but they pulled sort of the guts of it from the chips that they use to power their cloud computing servers. So um, interestingly, that means this chip is sort of built around the TPU, the Tensor processing unit. It's built around machine learning and artificial intelligence, as opposed to, you know, other chip makers that usually build it around the CPU or the graphics card. So clearly this is a chip that's meant to focus on those machine learning tasks on the phone. And I suppose once, you know, we'll get to the camera in a second, but um, I guess mo the most immediately uh, amazing demo that they had showed me, I suppose, is uh, live transcribe is this feature that is available on Pixel phones. And right now you can basically uh, turn it on and it'll transcribe any video you're looking at. So if you're scrolling through Instagram, a video pops up. If you turn on live transcribe, it'll uh, essentially start transcribing it. You'll see captions on the bottom and it doesn't need to necessarily be playing the audio or anything like that the camera is doing all of this on device uh, and uh, offline so um, it's pretty impressive as it is but with this new tensor chip Google's able to do something like translate it from a different language to uh, you know English for example and also transcribe it um, on device locally offline at the same time so they showed us a video of someone in like speaking in French and it was basically translating it in real time while also transcribing it in real time. And that just kind of blew me away because that opens the doors for, you know, so many people to be able to like, just watch these videos without having to listen to it. And um, yeah, it was just pretty, pretty impressive all around. Uh, and the other um, kind of cool feature that they had showed was um, voice to take. So if you ever use your uh, keyboard to, you know, or your voice to type, um, uh, you can sort of do that here much faster than ever before. And you can just sort of have commands like send and enter and, you know, all these punctuation marks that you can say and the phone will just sort of understand and it even understands context. So there was an example where I had asked, uh, well, what if you say send in the middle of a sentence rather than at the end so that the phone wouldn't understand or maybe it'll send your message mid sentence or something like that. And Rick Osler did a demo and basically the phone's able to understand context, your intonation, uh, and it sort of knew that when you're sending uh, or saying send in the middle of a sentence that you're not meaning it to actually send the message and saying send at the end of the sentence meant that that's when you want to send the message. So it was a pretty cool demo um, and also just two non-camera related things that they showed. So they didn't even touch on assistant or anything like that. So I'm assuming we're going to see some some cooler stuff later this year. You know, I think this is uh, a real manifestation of Google's thinking about the whole stack when it comes to Android and when it comes to smartphones. Because, you know, if you think back to when Android started, they just made the software. And then that happened for a few years and they said, okay, now we're going to start making our own hardware. We're going to show you what a Google phone can really do. There's special features in that. And now they've moved to the third step, which is now we're going to start putting our own chips in it, which allows them to really take that to the to the next level. Yeah. And, and that was the main theme of the whole uh, you know briefing. It was we are running into limits with what we can do with current hardware um, because, you know, the chips that we're using are all off the shelf components. So that's why they had decided a couple of years ago to start, you know, building their own chips. And that's where we are now. It's uh 
hopefully going to be some major improvements um, that, you know, everyone can see in their daily lives. Because as you said earlier, Mike, you know, there are a lot of pixel features that I've come become used to and I've taken, you know, full advantage of. Uh, and I think a lot of people do like, you know, call screen, for example, or hold for me where the phone is, you know, screening robocall so I don't have to answer them or waiting for me so that I don't have to listen to hold music. And I think those are pretty genuinely helpful features that, you know, people like. And if this means that we're going to see more things like that, then that's always a plus. Julian, how does Google's relatively low sales volume play a part in this? I mean, you know, they sell a fraction of the phones that a company like Apple or Samsung does, right? Um, does that allow for more experimentation? What does that mean for for the long-term future of Google hardware? Yeah, it's always a gamble. Uh, it's just kind of hard to tell um, exactly how serious they are, but it seems like they are pretty serious. Um, it's you know ne- you never really see them gaining much market share or anything like that. So it it really does feel like, well, is this all just like a fun experiment for you, or is this like? actually serious. I mean, I think they're serious and I think they're in this for the long haul, but it's hard to say exactly um, why and how much effort they're putting into this because clearly they are invested in the time and effort and money to build these high-end phones. Um, But I think the, the goal is maybe to start with mobile and sort of move that stuff to the rest of their ecosystem. So, you know, their Nest hardware is some of the most popular in the market. So I can totally see Tensor chips being put into, you know, a Nest smart display or a Nest smart speaker or um, smart video doorbell. And, And this, I assume, presumably, that would enable all of those other hardware to just take advantage of being able to do tons more machine learning computing um, without even having to connect to the internet. I have to say, I'm really tempted to like lean into the Pixel 6 um, because I do use Android phones once in a while, but it's mostly just to test stuff. And my my primary phone is an iPhone, but this Pixel 6 looks really nice. And with Google finally rolling out, you know, end-to-end encryption for Android's default messaging um, app, like I, I mean, I think that's a positive development. I'm just so stuck in iMessage or Apple Messages, whatever it's you're supposed to call it these days <laughs> and the blue bubbles they've really got me you don't want to give up your me emoji right <laughs> <laughs> yeah right the talking unicorn head the the other thing that's similar in, in comparing it with um apple is that you know um phones uh, iphones get the longest software support of any smartphone out there um and you know google offers some of the most uh the best software support as well but it's nowhere near as much as apple you know an iphone 6s still gets updates but a pixel 3 i'm pretty sure ends this year (laughs) or something like that so it's very limited in how much uh support they offer their phones um but that's another thing this might change i asked them you know with samsung offering four years of software and security support for their phones will Google up their three years of software and security uh, support. And um, Rick Osler said they're thinking and they will have an answer later this year. So presumably that means we're going to see some big changes in terms of uh, uh, software support later this year. Maybe we'll see four or five or six years of support. Who knows? But that's another benefit of having their own chip. Um, Qualcomm chips are pre- pretty much, you know, end support after three to four years. Um, so that is not necessarily a limitation when Google makes its own chips. 
All right, let's take another quick break. And then when we come back, it's time for our favorite part of the podcast, recommendations. Julian, what's your recommendation this week? Uh, if you can uh, feel comfortable enough to go to a theater or you can just wait until it goes to streaming, uh, I watched The Green Knight. Um, it's this movie with Dev Patel, who um, I adore in any movie that he's in. Um, and it's just this uh, readaptation of uh, um, Gawain, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And it's, it's this weird movie that I feel like is more of a visual treat than anything else. It's gorgeous to look at. And uh, the overarching themes are a little... You know, not obvious. It's all uh, subtle, and I think it's one of those films that sort of leave you leave the theater and you're just thinking about it for more than a week. Uh, and it's this uh, story of being able to um, understand the difference between goodness and greatness, and also this story of a man trying to find his place in the world and also just learn how to break out of a shell and and sort of go out and do something with their life rather than literally stay stuck uh in in living in their in their mother's home or castle i should say um so uh, it's it's a really thought-provoking movie and um it's it's just uh beautiful and, and and it has some of the best costume design i've seen in a movie for a long time it's it's really great to look at so definitely worth checking that out Nice. Very cool. I'm seeing it's available on Prime Video for five ninety nine. So, but it is still playing in theaters. It seems like maybe this is a silly question. Why would it, why wouldn't you just watch it on Prime Video for five ninety nine? Because you want to like hang out with other people who are talking and making noise and looking at their phones during the movie, right? <laughs> right. Okay, that's true. Yeah. Plus, it's just like that added risk of like maybe I'll get COVID from the theater. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh yes, right. There's also that excitement. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, Julian. Now I, I totally want to check this out. Uh, Mike, what is your recommendation? Uh, okay, I'm going to recommend an article that ran on Wired.com this week. Surprise, surprise. Our colleague Galad Edelman wrote a story. The title is, It's Time to Bring Back Cargo Pants. Uh, it's an argument, and it's a very good argument. The argument goes that we have... All of this stuff that we have to carry, right? You have to carry uh, a wallet, a vaccine passport with like your oversized CDC vaccination card. Uh, you've got your smartphone. You've got your AirPods charging case. You've got your sunglasses. You've got two masks. Where do you put all this stuff? You can put it in your jeans, but that's awkward. So bring back cargo pants. The pockets on the side is where all that stuff goes. And it sounds kind of silly because like, of course, everybody has been managing to, to carry all this stuff uh, without you haven't used cargo pants, but phones are getting bigger and we all do have wire-free earbuds now that we use. So cargo pants make more sense now than they did when they were popular, like 20, 25 years ago. And the argument is not that you or I should start wearing cargo pants. It's <laughs> that the, the, uh, the, the hottest influencers and the most fashionable celebrities should start wearing more cargo pants in order to bring them back in style so that it is acceptable for people like us to wear them to fancy restaurants and business meetings. It's an excellent article, Mike. I agree with you. I have to share a little backstory, which is that Galad called me last week and he said, I'm thinking of writing an article about cargo pants. What do you think? And I like wholeheartedly encouraged him to do this. Um, 
most of the time when people call me and say, I'm thinking of writing about X, should I? I'm like, yes, even if it's a terrible idea. And, um, and so Glad and I had a really thoughtful conversation about um, like what would actually make cargo pants fashionable again. To, to which point I said, like, in some ways they kind of are, like, especially, you know, I've noticed like women are embracing more baggy, like loose, free-flowing pants, which is incredible. Um, it, women are like obsessed with pockets generally. There's like a funny tweet that went viral a few years ago where someone said, it's so cute when you ask, when you tell a woman you like her dress, the first thing she says is, thanks, it has pockets, which is true. Like, so like we were, we're already sort of hip to this, but I did say to him, you know, the one person who would could effectively bring cargo pants back in style, just like with the snap of her fingers is our boss. And he was like, who? Like, I think he thought I meant like Gideon Litchfield. And I was like, Anna Wintour, you know, our boss at Condé Nast. And, and Glad was like, oh, yeah. So he wrote a well-crafted email to Anna Wintour asking her opinion on cargo pants. And I regret to say that at the time of this taping, she had not yet responded. That's right. He did his due diligence as a reporter. Uh, did not get a good comment. Yeah, he did not get a comment from Anna. But, but the story's still great. He has other fashion experts who are not Anna Winter, who who speak in the story and help help make the argument. So. Yes, he literally found a man who wrote a thesis <laughs> on cargo pants. I mean, it's hilarious. And yet now he's, hasn't he since been asked to like go on podcasts to talk about cargo pants? This is yeah, his new beat. So. Who needs national affairs and tech policy when you can write about cargo pants? <laughs> Julian, you rock the cargos, right? Come on. I was going to say, what about a, a bag um, to carry all that stuff? Uh, that seems like a good option too. Oh yeah, it's like pants for your shoulders. Irrelevant <laughs> to the conversation. No, I like this. I Let's like, keep the scope limited. Like Cargos, yes, no. There is no, there is no butt here. Do you have to wear the cargo pants with the, the the zippers that convert them to shorts? No. The point is that these are fashionable. These are things that are going to look good. That are going to be like you know modern and nice. Not things that are still kind of goofy like the ones that are out there now. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all for people wearing what they want. Um, I don't necessarily think I would wear one, but, um, you know, <laughs> maybe if someone made something, you know, something new and stylish that managed to have big pockets, I'll, I'll wear it. That's, that's right. We that's should have wired branded cargo pants. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Get deeper into the merch business. Okay. I'm going to pull the ripcord on this, Lauren. All right. What is your recommendation? My recommendation is that you donate to women journalists in Afghanistan right now through a group called the International Women's Media Foundation. Um, women journalists are some of the most you know, at-risk populations right now in, in Afghanistan for obvious reasons. Um, and so, and, and it's not just women journalists, of course, it's the, it's the press in general and other media workers. So, um, we'll link to this in the show notes, but, uh, if you have the time and some money to spare and you want to help out, um, I recommend donating to the, um, IWMF. That's great. And they're one of the organizations that is trying to ensure uh, safe evacuation uh, from the from Kabul and from other areas in, inside Afghanistan, and also uh, aiding in in other humanitarian efforts to keep people safe inside correct. the border. That is correct. All right, that's our show for this week. Thank you, Julian, as always, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And um, tell people where they can find your review of the Pixel Five A. Oh yes, you can read my 
not too long review of the Pixel 5a on Wired.com. And do you have a video? I do have a video also on Wired.com or on uh, all the social media channels for Wired. Yes. All right. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by the excellent Boone Ashworth. Uh, Goodbye for now. Have a great weekend and we'll be back next week. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.